This is my comeback. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. It's so good to be back with you guys. Trey Lewis here on The Comeback. I am here with a very special guest, Dr. Grady Carter. And before we get into his story, when I think about treatment, when I think about the approaches, when people talk about Christian treatment centers, that means so many different things to so many people, that we see uh, certain programs that are a couple of hours of Bible study in the morning, and the rest of the day they run a work camp. Um, There could be a medical clinical program. There could be clinical, no medical. And there's just so much, I think, confusion around what a good program is. And I know that whenever we started Good Landing Recovery, I don't know if I really understood how valuable psychiatry was going to be to to our clients. And, you know, I was just talking about a couple of the, the miracles that I've seen since we've been open. And I know the absence of medicine that they would not have flourished like they are flourishing today. So we're going to talk about that today. And I know this is also controversial. And for some reason, and I think especially within the church, that a lot of people are apprehensive to psychiatry and feel like that all other medical doctors, that it's it's okay to go to the doctor, but people are confused about psychiatry. So we want to be able to clear up mm. some of that today. But before we do, Dr. Carter... I know you probably want me to call you Grady. Please call me Grady. Okay. <laughs> Grady, will you just tell us about your story, about how you came to know Christ? Well, when I saw the question, I thought about it. I'm not quite sure when I got saved. Um, when I was 16, I went to Jesus 76 in Orlando, Florida, and made maybe my first, you know, as a teenager, clear, conscious, go to the altar decision for Jesus. But I know I knew him and he knew me before that. I remember when I was in first grade being in a Sunday school class, full first grade boy in Athens First United Methodist Church, and we were singing Holy, Holy, Holy. And I knew right then that that he was holy and he was looking at me and I was looking at him. And so um I don't know when. I know those two landmarks. And then I know at a whole different level that He saves me every single day. I just feel how His grace holds on to me every day. Um, And I would wander so far and so quickly if He wasn't just looking at me with that same intensity that He looked at me when I was that that six-year-old boy. That's incredible. And, and just something, too, that I'm sure that all of our listeners are noticing right now is, is that I'm not going to be too polished as I, as I say this, but most psychiatrists are impossible to even talk to and relate to, okay? The ones that I've interacted with. And so not only do we get somebody here that is is easy to talk to, I feel like that I could talk college football with you, and you love Jesus, like legitimately love Jesus just on normal terms in the sense of the language that you use. Well, only if you talk Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but yes, you know, Jesus comes before everything else. I mean, th- this is really blunt, but the worst addict, person in active addiction who knows Jesus is much better off infinitely and eternally than the person who does it. Wow. I mean, you know, Jesus is our life. He, the game he changer. is life. That's powerful. It's so powerful. So you have these encounters with the Lord, and you've got a trajectory 
for your life? You finish high school, then what happens? Um, well, I went to Oral Roberts University, as we were talking about. Um, I went there for a college weekend, and it was just great. And I was headed into the ministry, so I started as a United Methodist minister. That was the calling of my life. I um, served a little church while I was in college, which is crazy, because here are people who've been Christians longer than I have been alive, um, and I'm their minister. So they taught me so much, you know, with their kindness. And then I, um, I went to seminary at Emory, and then I served Methodist churches for seven years, and so as an associate. And, um, and then um, decided to go into medicine, something I still don't have a real grasp at. You know, at the time, I would have said that I was putting together, I felt called to it. I was putting together the um, kind of the people skills that I had, had developed as a minister with the older, when I was in high school, science was my thing, and then I kind of moved beyond that into the ministry with the kind of analytical thinking side that comes in medicine with a new way of caring for people. I'm still sometimes wonder, you don't expect to hear me say this, but I sometimes wonder if I did the right thing, if that's what God was calling me to do, whether I was running from something. Now, I know that He in His grace has put me where He wants me to be now. So I still, in hindsight, maybe wonder what I was doing. But that's the way I saw it, and I see you know, what God has called me to do now. And we'll talk more, I think, probably about why psychiatry and why addiction. But um, after seven years of ministry, I started medical school at age 31. Yeah, that's incredible. When, so when did you finish? Um, 1997, I can't quite do the math. I was 40 years old when I finished my residency and started practice. And, and so now mental health, addiction, um, yeah, let's just start with that. Let's just start with, with, with why mental health, why psychiatry? Well, if you think about mental health, you know, our, our bodies are important. They're really important. But what makes us who we are are our minds, our emotions, our behaviors, our mood. I mean, that's what makes us who we are. I mean, our body is a platform for that. And there's nothing worse than getting ill in, in those areas of our lives. That's who we are. Um, so it, it just strikes so deep and the suffering associated with that. If you think of Psalm 139 about God going to the dark places, you know, beyond the edge of darkness to find us, sometimes that's mental illness. That's where people are. And so those illnesses strike so deep. They have so much suffering associated with them. Um, they interfere with relationships to God, to ourselves, to others. And... um it's just where where Jesus is. I mean, wow. for people who are suffering from those things, and, and it just it captured me. Having been in the ministry, I probably already had a grid for it, but um, it's just those are those are the people. I mean, and and when I say the people, you know, every one of us. Psychiatric illnesses, 45, 50% of the population at some point or another has one. Addictions, you know, almost everybody has an addiction to something. Mm-hmm. Um, every family is touched by it. You sit in a church and look out the pews, and those you know about, there's a lot, but even more that you don't know about. So it's sure. just part of who we are as human beings. Why the stigma? Why is there confusion around just the average Christian that has something wrong with their foot or has a cold, has no problem going to the doctor, but if they are experiencing what uh, could be mental mental illness, could be some 
type of emotional turmoil, why the hesitancy to go and get help there? And I meant to say that's also one of the reasons I feel called to it, because of the stigma. Um, because if my foot's broken, you know, I don't think, well, I could have prevented that or I can fix that. But if it's my mind and my emotions, there's something about it that thinks, well, I should be able to fix that, whether it be pride or shame. Again, it, since these illnesses strike closer to the heart of who we are as human beings, again, our minds, our emotions, our, um, our ability to test reality, it, the shame and guilt of it goes far deeper. And, you know, you, you can walk into a coffee shop and say, you know, I just had this chest pain yesterday or my stomach's been hurting. You don't go in and say, I've been so depressed, I don't know what to do about it. It's just, it's, um, and it is worse in the church because people even more so believe if I only prayed a little more, if I were only closer to God, if only, you know, it, it, it strikes even closer, both the shame and the guilt and the stigma. That's good. I, I agree with you. I think so many people on those particular issues, they just want to pray them away, and there's not going to be any type of medical attention, and there's just some level of weakness that comes along with getting treated. I'm so glad that we're talking about that because I think so many people are suffering, and it could be just one appointment, you know, one phone call, and then they walk into a whole new world, and their quality of life is completely transformed, and they don't have to suffer that way. Um so now we talk about addiction. You know, there's so much, you know, co-occurring disorders, so many mental health issues. You know, people come in. I mean, I literally just got off the phone with with a um, with with this guy up in New York that was calling in about his mom, and she's got depression, and she's also struggling with with substance abuse, with alcoholism, and you know, he's trying to figure out on the phone w- which one's driving which. And to look at those questions or to ask those questions, I believe, are obviously very important. And I'm glad that he is asking those questions. But to have a professional come in and speak to that and not, you know, some layperson trying to diagnose that on their own. And so often they become just mixed together. I mean, when you think about it, people will say, well, I drink because of my anxiety or I have anxiety because I drink. But the thing is they feed each other. They become too, you know, like a circle. I have a picture of a circle where they just feed each other and one makes the other worse. And sometimes you can't really tease them apart because it's a human brain. They both affect the same systems in the human brain and the human soul. And so, so often what you just do is you treat both of them. You know, you try to find, you know, what it is you're treating and you just treat both of them. And then, you know, talking about addiction, what I said about, you know, striking at the heart of who we are, that's just as much as other mental illnesses. Because again, you know, I, one way I look at addiction is it's a disease of the will. You know, it's a disease of the parts of the brain that can decide what to do. And talk about stigma. I mean, you know from what you do mm-hmm. how much stigma there is and how much guilt and shame associated with, with addiction as much or more so, because people look at you and say, why don't you just stop? You know, why don't you just stop? If you prayed a little more, you could stop. And that's not how addiction works. Right. And talk about suffering. I mean, the suffering for families and and relationships from addiction. And the the thing that draws me to that is, again, 
And if anybody or God's little children, people with mental illness and people with addiction. Mm -hmm. And it just illustrates the human condition that everybody has, whether they know it or not. Because nobody gets up in the morning and says, you know, I think I'm going to become a methamphetamine addict. That's the trajectory I've picked for the rest of my life. That's right. Um, Nobody does that. You know, Mm -hmm. they do one thing and then another and then they're trapped. And it even illustrates the deceitfulness of sin, you know, how you how you do something and you have no clue what you're really getting into. Nobody would do it if they knew what they were getting into. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just think, and I know I'm going on and on. No, but, please. But God, if you think about the heart of God for suffering human beings, you know, addiction just, just stirs that in me because you know Jesus is right there. You know, no, Jesus is just... Burning with compassion and wow. desire and fierceness, you know, he did, fierce anger at, at at this this thing which has taken over a person he loves. Yeah, that's so powerful. Help the the mom that just sent her son over to UGA, think that he's knocking out his his core classes and finds out that he's addicted to alcohol and cocaine or whatever, and. It, and now there's the shame of what, 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 what do I do with my kid? I mean, I just, I've raised my son or I've raised my daughter to, to be able to achieve and to succeed. And just like what you were talking about, but, but again, that stigma where, where people really just don't know what to do and they're, and they're so frustrated, they're so embarrassed. Can you just shed light on, on what's going on um, from the, um, within the brain and, and how they can, best understand that? The biggest thing is to realize it's not your fault, and, and your child doesn't choose this, even though you know, they are making individual decisions that lead to this. So they are making choices, but nobody chooses the lifestyle. And then people with addiction do have brains that in that particular area, they're dysregulated. And so they everybody has a part of their brain that makes them go for whatever that brain thinks they need to survive. Drugs of abuse take over that part of the brain, and it's almost like convincing it that it has to have that to survive, and it goes on overdrive. And people focus on the pleasure of addiction. You know, they think that addiction's pleasurable, but they don't realize that as soon as an addict passes the liquor store or avoids it, the brain starts punishing them and they feel this just profound dysphoria, making them want to turn around and go back. Because the brain, again, at the primitive level, thinks it needs this to survive. And so, and most addicts will tell you, there's not much pleasure very far down the road. Uh, Maybe a little bit, but eventually you're trying to avoid the pain. You're trying to live with the consequences of what you've done that reinforce the addiction. Mm. And you're trying to avoid withdrawal. And so just you know, trying for that mother again to realize it's not their fault and to stimulate compassion and patience and the right amount of toughness. And that's, that's just a whole different, because different conversation because you do have to set limits. So there's this balance, this tough, tough balance of compassion and tough love. That's so good. Yeah, we, we, we talk about what, what does love look like, and and I know that when we're trying to tailor something around an individual, because, I mean, every person's different, and and to, you know, understand that they are sick, but also to um, not enable them to continue down this destructive path. When, when do you think that it's a good time for, for someone in addiction to see a psychiatrist? 
So when you say psychiatrists, we're really talking now about when you might see somebody who would prescribe medications. Mm -hmm. And so primarily in the cases of anxiety, depression, and then reality testing or psychosis, which again are things that you might deal with along the whole spectrum of addiction. So almost everybody with addiction eventually has some depression or anxiety. But if you think about the warning signs where particularly a medication might help, so a sustained depression for two to three to four weeks, what we think of as major depression is when it has physical consequences like low energy, low um, poor concentration, poor focus, poor memory, um, poor appetite, disturbed sleep. Those are all things that at some point a medication might be helpful for. Um, if people get where they lose all their interest in other things, and of course if somebody gets where they just don't want to go on living or having thoughts of, of killing themselves, they may not need a psychiatrist per se, but they certainly need intervention. Um, so that's for depression. For anxiety, again, pervasive worry, panic attacks, um, Often, people who are in addiction or dealing with that will go into recovery better if they have medication. It's, it, I think you alluded to earlier, they used to say you know, two things. One, if you're an addict, don't treat with any psychiatric medications because you're medicating the pain. And there's truth to that. You do want to avoid addictive substances, but treating an underlying anxiety disorder or an underlying depressive disorder is really a very helpful thing to do. The other thing people used to say is you wait at least 30 days until somebody's in recovery before you treat them with a medication. But um, I think we're finding, one, if you don't treat them, they may not get into recovery and they may not make 30 days. And you can often tease out, even at the beginning, whether they have an independent disorder that you should go ahead and treat. That's so good. It's fascinating. So we've covered a lot of territory today. And is, is there any final thoughts that you have, maybe questions that I didn't ask as it relates to, to mental health, um, things that you feel like the world needs to know. When I think about who's going to be listening to this, these are typically going to be people who are uh, in recovery, primarily in early recovery on the front end of their journey, and then also parents who are looking for answers um, and that might not even know the right questions to ask. Well, for parents, the, I'll start there. The main thing is don't give up because some people take you know, 10 stints at treatment. That's right. Um, present company included. <laughs> That's um, right. You, you know, before. And, and so, and it's so grueling. And the fear just wells in you because, you know, with some drugs, you don't know if your child is going to make it through the night. And so seek support. I mean, break that shame. I mean, that's my, my, my advice for parents. Break that shame and reach out to somebody because you need help. You need people to know and support you. Um, and, and pray. I mean, pray because, like I said, Jesus is the one behind all recovery, behind all help. Um, don't stop praying for that child. Don't stop trying. And, and this is a topic in its own right that I haven't really thought through. And know that there are times when you have to back off and don't feel guilty about that. You got to trust the counsel people give you, trust your gut, trust the Holy Spirit. And know when there are times that you have to back off because you're you're not helping because they need somebody else. Um, 
And so that was kind of all over the place. But, you know, stay in touch with your spiritual roots, with, with the, the faith community that supports you, with God, and don't give up, and just keep loving and accepting that child without loving, without accepting the addiction. And that's easy to say and hard to figure out how to do. But love that child. Don't give up on that child. Let them know you love them. But at the same time, don't accept the addiction. Now, to the person that's... that's um, still struggling. Now, the person is still in active addiction. Um, no matter how many times you have tried, try again. Try again. There is help available. Um, God is still there because addiction, the first thing addiction steals from you is your spiritual life. The first thing it takes away are your connections with God. And, and know that Jesus is still right there, even if you don't see him. You know, people talk about him knocking at the door. If you know him, he's not outside the door. He's standing there right next to you waiting for you to turn. And so, you know, seeking spiritual counsel, seeking seeking God, and just staying in there and knowing that no matter how low you have gotten, even the person in early recovery, no matter how low you have gotten, um, he knew you in your mother's womb. He knew you before the foundations of the earth. That get, That's what I love. One of your questions that you didn't ask is what I love about Jesus, something mm. like that. Yeah. And that is that he knows us before the foundation of the earth. I mean, get our head around the fact before he created a galaxy, he thought of me. Yeah. And you in addiction, even right now, you know, getting ready to, to take heroin, he knew you in your mother's womb. And he is not looking down on you right now. And so that's kind of all over the place, but that's what I would say. That's so good. It's so good. I'm just sitting here. I almost wish that we had this on video today just so that you guys could see this unique blend of of a doctor and a pastor and and speaking from that place to um, you know understand it from a biblical worldview, um, but that you can appropriately apply it to to your loved one's life. And I think that it is so important. You know, I was just thinking about some of our success stories that have been here and um, I mean, people that I thought that there was no way that we were going to be able to to reach, and then we're going to have to refer them out. And that when psychiatry, when it when it does what it is supposed to do, I mean, it is remarkable and and a game changer in so many people's lives. Um, do Do you have any success stories or some of your favorite stories that that you'd want to share? I, what I do now, my, my work now is in an inpatient psychiatric unit, so I'm not seeing people down the continuum. And so when I think about success, I don't necessarily get to see them 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, five. In fact, almost by definition, if I see them again, they've had, had difficulty. Um, but I do see the, the, the short-term success of a person who comes in sometimes in floored withdrawal, sick as a dog. Um, maybe even you know many of them there because somebody made them come. They didn't want to come. Um, somebody made them come, and yet in five days they're feeling the best they felt in months. They don't feel good yet, but they feel the best they felt in months. They're thinking clearer. Their family is around in a new way with a new hopefulness, and they've got a plan for the future. Whether it be good recovery or a good landings, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it be good landings or or our program, um, you know. So I see that kind of success all the time. The person who's first coming out of addiction, and oh, some of those are going to make it. 
Some of those are never going to use drugs again. Um, and I don't know going out the door who that is, but every one of them is a success when they leave better than they came in. That's so good. That's so good. You know, when I think about programs, and it's also I just want to say thank you so much for, for doing this today. It's a huge investment into our program, into our listeners. Um, I, I was, you know, thinking about, you know, Christian programs, having the privilege to be able to sit down with a a psychiatrist who who is a Christian, who is a believer, and and that is, you know, like you said, behind all of the healing. Um, Jesus is there, how close that he is um, to the broken. And, you know, when I, I guess when I think about other programs and why Good Landing was started is that I understand how critical this is and that if even if somebody has all of the the letters after their name, they've got all of the degrees and all of the knowledge and, and the program can be clinically and medically sound. You know, I think about if I have a loved one and at their most vulnerable point, that if I'm putting them in front of somebody who doesn't love the Lord, how how critical that moment is when they're that vulnerable um, and to, to have a place to be able to freely talk about Jesus, um, to be able to have, you know, influence from people like you and, and to, to just understand it from the right perspective. It's just, um, I'm just grateful. I'm even more grateful now for for what we're doing, the, the privilege that God has given us. So thank you so much for for joining us today. And I really appreciate what Good Landings is doing because you've got a clinical medical program, but you've got Jesus at the center of it. What has really drawn me into Good Landings is watching the Saturday night worship and seeing that Jesus is at the heart of it. You don't neglect any other part of recovery. You don't neglect the seriousness of addiction. But again, the an addict... Jesus is far better off than a person who doesn't know Jesus. But together, you know, put those together and you have true healing and true hope. So good. Thank you, Dr. Carter. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.